The reading this morning is taken from John 21, verses 15 to 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to this, these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity we have to gather together to again be exposed to your word, to truth, to fellowship with your people, and to be drawn closer to yourself. We pray that you might speak to each of us this morning um, through me, Lord, your servant, but through your word and the many passages we'll look at, that you will speak your will into our minds and hearts that we might be and become the people you desire and that you yearn for. So, Lord, here we are, your servants, listening to you. Speak, Lord, to us. In Jesus' name, we ask it. And everyone said? <clears throat> Thanks, Gary. Um, Today's Focus Sunday, so let's take a few minutes and uh, I mean the message is going to outline some very important truths for us and truths that many of you 
will already know, and it's a reminder to you. For others of you, there might be some new concepts or new truths. And so I hope, under God's ministry to you, that you'll embrace them and absorb them into your life. <clears throat> tomorrow, as many of you probably don't know and certainly probably don't care, but tomorrow is Super Bowl day. <laughs> and the 49ers are playing Kansas City. I just thought you'd want to know that. And the 49ers are my son-in-law's team. And my daughter now goes for the 49ers, and so does my granddaughter. She, of her own volition at the age of two, has decided to be a 49 supporter. The trophy of the NFL is called the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Vince Lombardi was the very famous coach of the Green Bay Packers. He is renowned for many, many stories, and one of my favourites are, is, one of my favourites are, the Green Bay Packers were struggling and they were losing. And Lombardi being, he was a very hard-nosed man. He was a very straight shooter. He would look you right in the eye and he'd tell you off. And he could look after himself. And most people either had very deep respect for him or they feared him. He took his football team into the, uh, the chain sheds. He said, gentlemen, we're playing pathetically. It's time for us to go back to basics. Gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> it's pretty basic, isn't it? Go from there and the Green Bay Packers then go on to win. And they win the first two Super Bowls of the NFL and that's why the, the NFL trophy is called the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Let's close in prayer. I used to play AFL. On the AFL Grand Final, the best player on the field gets a medal. Does anybody know the name of that medal? Norm Smith medal. Who said that? You didn't go? You're finished? It's the Norm Smith medal. Who was Norm Smith? Norm Smith was a very famous coach for South Melbourne, what is now the Sydney Swans. Norm Smith was a bit like Vince Lombardi. He was very good at enforcing, you have to get the basics right. Get the basics right. Get the basics right. Norm Smith came to the southwest region where I was playing. And I was amongst a select group of people who got to be trained by Norm Smith. And he would run us through the paces and all of the basics and everything else. He said, if you're going to be a champion football player, you have to master the basics. And all champions do that. The champions are the champions because they know the basics so well, they execute the basics almost flawlessly that they are then freed up to do the extraordinary. So too, in following the Lord Jesus, we need to get the basics right. And if we master the basics, that frees the Lord up to be able to use us to achieve whatever remarkable things he wants to do in us according to his will. Let's get the basics right. That's what this year is going to be about. We want to return to the basics because we want the basics in place and the foundation, certainly in the church's life, but in each of your lives because we've been discovering, the pastors have been talking about this for about 18 months, and we've had different people contact us and saying they're concerned about these issues and discipleship is the catchphrase that is most often used and <clears throat> that's a biblical term and phrase to use. It's about being a disciple of Jesus. It's basic. And what we're discovering is that too many of our people who belong to this church community don't have the basics in place and issues that go wrong in their life. And the reason some of the things are going wrong in their life is because the basics aren't there. 
The basics will protect you, not from life's hurts and not from harms and not from bad things happening, but it will prevent you from some of them. It'll steer you in life's way. As we follow God's word and are fully obedient to him, then that process actually protects us from silly decisions, from careless choices. But we live in a fallen world and we are fallen creatures. So we need to get the basics in place. So what are we going to do this year? Well, starting next week, we're going to begin a series in Philippians in our morning services, in our yep, morning services. We're going to look at the church in Philippi, which is the Apostle Paul's favourite church, and look at that in terms of what did they do as followers of the Lord Jesus? What basics did they have in place that we can learn from and adopt into our life? And the book of Philippians is filled with several themes. One theme is certainly joy, that our lives are being transformed as passionate followers of Jesus with a concept of joy, rejoicing in him. And putting, therefore, life's heartaches and hardships into that perspective. At night, we're going to look at Nehemiah and see what he did as he followed God's leading in his life. Second term, we're going to return to something we did about 10 years ago. Back then, it was called A Purpose Driven Life. Now it's called What on Earth Am I Here For? It's a new series. It's not a new series. It's an updated series from Rick Warren. It's a resource. We've gone and bought, I don't know, 100 books, a couple hundred books or something. If you go to Kurong, you'll pay about $22 for one, the paperback, something like that. Because of our very gifted administrator and because of the wrangling and negotiation that he's enabled to actually go for, I think they're free, aren't they, Pete? Someone um, give Pete resuscitation. They're not, they're not free. But I think it's going to be, what are we selling them for? 15 So seven bucks you save if you buy through us. <laughs> Anyway, we've got some copies of that. That's second term. That'll take seven weeks, I think it is. I'm very excited about that because that'll take us back to the basics. And I think Rick Warren does it superbly. His teaching, I think, is very, very good. I know not everybody agrees with Rick Warren and not everybody likes Rick Warren, but that's okay. He's a brother in Christ and he's going to help us to evaluate our life and our relationship and walk with the Lord. We're also going to introduce a new thing called Master Life. Some of you may have met a guy by the name of uh, Jeff Island. Some of you will know Jeff from years ago. Jeff was the senior pastor at Wyndham Baptist Church, but is now, I think he's finished his long service leave and he's now retired, except QB have just appointed him as being a regional minister, which is he's a pastor over the pastors, over the churches, and he's over our church, and he's attending our church on a Sunday night. And Jeff is a guy with a lot of experience and a great heart, He's got so much to offer and he's been attending each Monday our pastoral staff meetings. He came for one day with us on our pastor's retreat and had input. And one of the questions we asked Jeff a long time ago, beginning of the year and the end of last year was, what did you do about discipleship? And he had, there are many, many programs out there and he said, but the best one that he has found is a thing called Master Life. I don't know if you've heard it or not, but anyway, we're going to invest in that as well. We're going to put our pastoral team and key leaders through it. Takes, uh, there are four books and it's six weeks each book. Trains you in the basics. Helps you to memorise scripture and evaluate your life and become really plugged in and connected in your relationship with Jesus. And then once the leaders have done it, we'll do it through our ministry leaders and then we'll open up to the whole church to come and be discipled through this process. And what we're hoping to come out of that is as you get 
trained and equipped and taught, then you in turn will go on and teach and train and equip others, that you'll pass it on, that you'll be equipped for life. Whether you stay here at Sunnybank or whether the Lord moves you on, you will have resources to take with you. So we're excited about that. There are some other new things we're going to do as well, or planning to do, God willing. But the bottom line is we want to raise the temperature, the culture about discipleship, of training or mentoring or coaching or holding each other to account, whatever words you want to use. But it's about helping each other in our relationship with Jesus, not just being a social club but being the church of the Lord Jesus. And there's a few new things, ministries that have been suggested um, that we'll talk about, I guess, in time as they come. And of course, we're going to look at our governance issues and we're going to certainly look at our constitution, the basics. When I became a Christian, where do I point that? Apparently, you've got to turn it on. Works if you turn it on. When I became a Christian, somebody very wisely said to me, because you get, you're up and down. I was, as a, a, and you brought, I'm a Christian, and I was up here. And two, two days later, 48 hours later, I was down there. And then I was up there, and then I was down there. And that's not normally like me. I'm not, I don't normally have those sort of emotional swings. Normally, this is me being excited, and this is me being upset. Well, it's me being excited. It's me being upset. Somebody said these three Fs to me. Do you know what the three Fs are? First one's fact. Second one is faith. And the third one is feeling. Have you not heard that? Some, not many. Wow. Fact, faith, feeling. The person described it, Bill Bright they were quoting, it describes it like your life is like a train and the engine, the, the one at the front is facts. What are the facts? Well, there is a God and the Bible is true and Jesus died and... Uh, you have a choice to make, repent and believe. What's the faith? Well, it's me making my response and exercising that I believe those facts and I place my faith in him and I trust him, regardless of how I feel. And then the feelings follow along. They're in the rear caboose. Your feelings will follow the choices you make. Many people have got their life around the wrong way. They're being led by their feelings. They can't feel God, they, can't, they don't feel they should be obeying. Don't be driven by feelings, be driven by the facts and then your response to the facts and the truths. This morning I want to give you a different third word for F and this is where we'll go, certainly this morning. It's going to be fact, faith, fruit. The Bible says a whole lot about fruit. Um, it begins, the New Testament begins even with John the Baptist saying to people coming to be baptised, go away and bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. The concept of fruit is on the lips of the Lord Jesus about 30 times in the Gospels. And in this passage in particular, you look at the number of times he says it. It's about a third of the times, this is like the last night the Lord Jesus is with his disciples. And right at the end of his life, he emphasises this concept. I am the true vine, he says, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might be even more fruitful. Remain in me, he says, 
as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is my Father's glory, he goes on to say, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? So that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Fact, faith, fruit. The Lord is looking for fruit in our life. Romans 7.4 says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also put to death in relation to the law through the body of Jesus, so that now you belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that you might bear fruit for God. Why have you been saved? So that you can bear fruit. Well, when you talk about fruit, the New Testament does about 50 times, as I said. What sort of fruit? Well, if you look at these verses, you'll get some idea of the concepts or the sorts of fruit that God is looking for in our life. Romans 1.13 in the NIV, they use the word harvest. It's the same word. If you look up a different version, you'll find the word fruit. Um, I don't want you to be unaware, the Apostle Paul says, I plan to come to you many times, but I've been prevented. Why? In order that I might have some fruit, a harvest among you. The fruit God is looking for is leading other people into a saving relationship with Jesus. He's witnessing and leading people to Christ. That's fruit that God looks for. In Romans 6.22, it's the fruit of our holiness, sanctification, our lives becoming more like Jesus in Romans 6.22. In Romans 15.28, it's the this. When therefore I have accomplished this, he's talking about I'm collecting money from the churches to take to the church the poor in Jerusalem. When I have accomplished this, so the fruit is the receiving of... Um, donations and financial offerings. That's the fruit God is looking for in our life as well. Um, what we do with our finances, being good stewards of them. Galatians 5.22, famously, you know this verse, <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit. These are the characteristics, the qualities of the Lord Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's looking for that fruit in our lives. In Philippians chapter 1, which is the letter we're going to be looking at, the Apostle Paul prays in verses 9 to 11 of the first chapter. He talks about that they might be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Again, becoming more like the Lord Jesus, not just justified, but being purified and cleansed and living holy and godly lives. Colossians 1.10 says, he prays, so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, that every good deed that we are involved in is actually bringing forth fruit in our lives to our, to our account, if you like, and God will reward us accordingly. He's looking for fruit. Hebrews 13, 15, it's the fruit of lips, the sacrifice of praise. Both in the public assembly, when you come this morning and you sing and you're singing praise to Jesus and you're focused on him, that's the fruit that he is looking for. When you do it at home, when you do it in your car, that's the fruit, part of the fruit. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. There's a lot of them, isn't there? With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling 
that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. The fruit. Every good desire and every good deed prompted by faith. Being transformed. How do we do this? How does this happen? How do we bring forth this fruit in our lives? Well, let me remind you of the first passage. Jesus said, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch, none of us, can bear fruit by ourselves. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's that link with Jesus. It's basic. It's the same passage, but in the negative. The purple bits are, notice this. Remain in me as I still remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then the good news, the positive, if you remain in me and I in you, you will. It'll be out of the overflow of your life, of your connection with Jesus, that fruit will come. Not by our own efforts, but by him working within us. The Lord Jesus demonstrates this and illustrates this beautifully in this story of the barren fig tree. Before I get to that, let me point out, it's obvious when you think about it, but sometimes it may not be obvious as you begin to think about it. Jesus spoke about us bearing, not just bearing fruit, but bearing more fruit. And then he said, this is my Father's will for you, that you bear much fruit. How do you go from bearing fruit to more fruit to much fruit? Well, there's two answers. Number one, by abiding in Jesus. Remaining connected to him. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. <clears throat> but the overflow of that is that if we are bearing fruit in our life, then in the fruit, in the real world, in fruit, there is seed. And the seed contains the basis of more fruit. So in other words, as I bear fruit in my life, and if I lead someone to Christ, or any of those other aspects of fruit, and then they go on to do it in their life with other people, and they go on to do it in their life, that line of result comes back to here. I'm bearing fruit, and more fruit, and much fruit. It's not just me, it's me in connection, and God working through me, and then through others, and then through the next generation, and so on, going forward. That's how God's going to work it. Hence, it's important to have the basics in place. You've got to be right. You've got to be abiding in him, obedient to him, walking with him. In Mark chapter 11 verses 12 to 14 and then jump a paragraph uh, 20 and 21 it tells a story of how this is the last week of the Lord Jesus and he's uh, ridden the donkey into Jerusalem he's made this very deliberate public announcement that he is the Messiah and then he goes into the temple into the city he goes to the temple and he makes observations in the temple he will leave later on that afternoon that evening and head back to Bethany but what he observes in the temple are the money changers, the people who were there to help pilgrims who have come from other nations because you can only use temple coins in the temple. And they've turned up with their yen or their British pounds or their American dollars. And it's got to be, trans it's got to be, <clears throat> what's the word? 
exchanged. So if you're visiting from another country, then we're quite happy to give you Australian dollars at a, you know, an exchange rate that's suitable, of course, so that you can, can participate in our offering. And that's what they were doing, except they were charging exorbitant rates. They were ripping the pilgrims off. Not only that, in the temple, you would have to buy an animal, a special animal, an animal without blemish, a male animal and of certain age, and they were charging exorbitant prices for that. And Jesus is observing all of this. And then, of course, the priests, they're getting some of the prophets coming back to them and they're doing all of this religious ceremonies and rituals and performing that very nicely. But what Jesus noticed was not just a beautiful building and these elaborate rituals, what he noticed was the absence of real devotion to God. One time he goes to the temple and he draws attention to something that surprised him. A little old lady, a widow, put something in the offering box. It was a very small amount, but it blew Jesus' mind because he knew that was everything she had. There is someone demonstrating heart devotion to God and he was surprised. When he's seeing the temple this time, he's not surprised. He's furious, he's ticked off. That evening he goes out to Bethany about a couple of k's away and while he is out there, uh, he's planning, praying. Next morning gets up, heads back into Jerusalem, which is what he did every day until Good Friday. So from Bethany in the morning, he's coming down towards Jerusalem and probably as he gets down into the valley, Gethsemane and the, around there, Kidron Valley and stuff, he sees a fig tree in full leaf. And he's hungry. Didn't have his cornflakes. Goes up to the fig tree expecting to find some figs. And he looks under these very large fig leaves and there is no fruit on this fig tree. Ticked him off. Cursed it. Shrivel up and die. May no fruit be come on you ever again. And nobody will eat from you. Goes into Jerusalem. Goes to the temple. Either buys or has brought with him. It's premeditated. Gets some flax. He stands in the corner and he starts plaiting a whip. When he's made a whip, then he comes along and he turns the table where the money changers are and he flips that over. And then where the birds are being sold or the animals are being sold, he told the owners to take the animals and to get out. He wasn't going to destroy their livelihood. He was just going to relocate it into a more suitable place. And the thing that cheesed him off was not only there was no heart devotion to God going on here, the very location of this was in the court of the Gentiles. So Jesus got a whip and removed them, told them to get out. You've turned my father's, my father's house to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of iniquity, a den of thieves. You're ripping people off. And you don't care about the Gentiles. God does. Lost people matter to God. That's what Jesus is saying to them. They finish that day. They head back to Bethany, sleep that night, get up the next morning and come in. And the next morning, as they go past that fig tree, their disciples observe the tree's all shriveled up. It's gone. And Jesus, they were surprised by that, and Jesus simply says to them, have faith in God. The thing I want you to note is, oops. The thing Jesus said about this tree was, there's nothing on it but leaves. Now, verse 13 of that chapter also says, this troubles many people, Mark says, it wasn't the season for figs. 
Well, then why did Jesus curse a fig tree if it's not the season for figs? A couple of things to know. Number one, the fig season was going to be a month or a couple of months later. This is Passover. But if a fig tree is located in an area where it's protected from some of the elements, if it has a water supply, then it's quite possible that a fig tree will produce fruit ahead of the normal season. And secondly, to know this, for fig trees in Palestine, I'm not sure about here, but fig trees in Palestine, the tree first produces the fruit and then it produces the leaves. Because the leaves are so big, if they produced it, there would be no fruit at all. So the fruit comes first in miniature form to grow and develop, then the leaves come to cover and protect it. So when you see a fig tree with leaves, what it's saying is, I have fruit. I have been productive. I'm ahead of time, I'm ahead of the season, here I am. And Jesus went to it and found out it's nothing but leaves. It's false advertising. You're making a profession without reality, just like the temple. And it's an illustration, not only of the temple, but it's also, I think, an illustration for us as his disciples. We have to... The two things God looks for in our life, faith and fruit. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Anybody who comes to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him and he looks for fruit. And as some wag said, if you tweet things, tweet this. God is looking for spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. I like that. God is looking for spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. Then a guy by the name of Scott McKnight, who's one of my favourite authors, I have a lot. He's a New Testament um, commentator, a brilliant guy with high intellect, writes some amazing books that are very helpful and insightful. He says this, we have too many Christians who have accepted Jesus into their hearts, who have been baptised and have confessed their sins, who have joined the church and who are in Bible studies, and who are 100% absolutely convinced that they're going to heaven, but... They're not following Jesus. Professing without practicing. Outwardly saying, I'm a Christian, when in reality, well, not really. They're playing a game. No fruit, all show. I guess the question becomes, where are you in this? We've got to get the basics in our life. Our mission statement, which is in our bulletin every week, and I hope you know this by heart, is working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. Well, our focus this year, I just tweaked it just slightly. That's still our mission. That doesn't change. Our mission this year is working with God in being transformed. In transforming people includes us. Yeah, we know that. We say that all the time. But that's the emphasis, the focus for this year. Us. Am I being transformed? Am I walking close with Jesus? Am I abiding in him? Have I got the basics in my life in place? It starts with me. It starts with each one of us individually. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, the Lord Jesus spent the night in prayer and then he called amongst his disciples, he called those to him whom he wanted to be with him. They would become the apostles. And in verse 14 it says, um, 
He appointed 12 that they might two things, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority over demons. Notice the two things, don't miss it. Number one, I want you to be with me. I want you to hang out with me. I want you to listen to me. I want you to learn from me. I want you to grow in your relationship with your love for me. That's number one. And then flowing out of that, then he'll send us forth to do the works of ministry. The danger would be that a person professes faith in Jesus doesn't have the basics in life and they enter service for Jesus and they're not spending time with Jesus. So where are they serving from out of their own flesh? They're not abiding in the vine. John 15, we read it, if you're not abiding in the vine, you can't produce fruit. Not fruit that will last. Not fruit that's life transforming. Not fruit that God blesses. So we need to spend time with him. And the order of that bit is very important our witness proceeds and shapes our witness we worship him before working for him we're to know God in Christ personally before making him known this flows out of this relationship I know you know it. we tell you often and it's crucial it's important Time is going, but I just wanted to point this out to you. No, not that one. One John. This is, he's describing Jesus, but this is again the same truth that we're talking about this morning. Um, that which was from the beginning, Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The Lord Jesus was heard, seen, looked at and touched. He was audible, visible examinable and tangible as we abide in him that same truth will manifest in our life once again the gospel has to become enfleshed in us in the way we speak to others and about others in what we do and how we show ourselves in our attitudes and in our actions I always forget this guy's name. Where's Brendan? Famous baseball player. Sunday. Some Billy Sunday. Thanks, Brendan. <laughs> Billy Sunday said this. God wrote five Gospels. Say them with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and me. Our life is a fifth Gospel. And Billy Sunday emphasised that for some people, we are the only Gospel they will ever read. That's what God is doing in your life. That's why God has placed you where you're living, where you're working, where you're functioning. He wants you to be a living, breathing witness for him. The development of this inner life is therefore absolutely essential. It's mandatory. It's not negotiable. It's what God does in me, which is going to fuel what God does through me. I need to hurry. This is one of my favorite discipleship passages i return to this often in my own personal journaling and stuff and i did so on the retreat we had recently this is the first and greatest commandment it's the first question that jesus asks here in this passage it's the passage that lyndall read to us it's jesus talking to peter peter do you love me do you love me more than these feed my sheep do you love me 
feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? That's what the Lord Jesus wants from us. He wants us to love him. And if you analyse the passage, it's not a question... Jesus is not questioning his relationship with um, Peter. If he was, it would, do you believe in me? No, 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 no. He's asking Peter, you're a professing disciple, you're a follower. I appointed you to be an apostle. Are you connected in? Do you love me? And the first question, the most important question, do you love me more than these? Do you love me supremely? And we've spoken about what are these things. And do you love Jesus ahead of everybody and everything else? That's a good question to ask and answer. Do you love him actively? Not just in words, but Jesus instructed Peter, do this, feed my sheep, lead my sheep, care for the lambs, talk as cheap. Anybody can say it. We have to do it. Time has really gone, but I did want to give you this story. This is a pastor who, like me, had been reading through the autobiography of Charles Spurgeon. It's two volumes, and it's a good read. And as this guy, not me, as this other pastor is out jogging one day, he asked the Lord, he said, Lord, can you bless my ministry like you bless Spurgeon's? And while he's jogging along, suddenly he felt the Lord speak into his mind, and the Lord said, which Spurgeon? Charles or John? And the thought was so strong, it stopped the pastor running in his tracks. And he stopped and he thought. And then he remembered, John Spurgeon was Charles's father. He was a godly, faithful pastor, John Spurgeon. But he would have lived and died in obscurity. You would never have heard of him, except that he had a very famous son. In God's purposes, the famous son was plagued with health problems and he only lived till he was 57. That's young. Whereas the unknown father, the obscure father, lived and died at 90. God used both men. The Lord then, he felt, was saying to him, your job is to be as faithful as John Spurgeon. Jesus says, my prerogative is to use you as I see fit. Learn all you can about Charles Spurgeon, but if I want to use you as I use John Spurgeon, that's my business. It's a great story, isn't it? Do you love him actively? Do you love him openly before others? The Lord Jesus goes on and asks Peter some more questions in these verses. He says to Peter twice, at the beginning and at the end, follow me. He's saying it to Peter. If you look at the life of Peter, there's a, a collection of failures, of mistakes, of stumbles, of missteps. And Jesus asks him, follow me. Regardless of what's gone on in the past, put the past behind you. Follow me. And follow me now. Regardless of what's gone on in your life. Secondly, follow me regardless of the cost. Jesus says when you were young, you dressed yourself. But coming in the future, you're going to stretch out your hands and somebody else is going to dress you and lead you to a place you don't want to go. Telling him what manner of death he would have. Follow me, Jesus says. Regardless of... What's it going to cost and what's going to happen in the future? It's follow me. Just follow me. And then Peter turns around and sees John follow. Well, what about him? And Jesus says, none of your business. What I do with him, what's that got to do with you? You follow me. The basics. Connected into Jesus, abiding in the vine, doing exactly what he wants us to do. So this year, that's our goal, to be with Jesus 
to know him, love him, learn from him, learn more about him personally and then to be sent out by him as he directs. Well, we're at the end. What's your response? For many of you, you've heard this before. That's not important. What's important is what's your response to it? Not if you know it. What are you going to do about it? Will you recommit? Will you make a full surrender of your life to Jesus? Will you hand the control of your life over to him? I once used this illustration that our life is like a car. Is Jesus in your car? Is he in the car of your life? For some of you, and I hope not for many, but for some of you, Jesus is probably in the boot. You leave Jesus in the boot all week. Nobody out there knows that you've got Jesus in your car. Except if you go shopping and open the boot and somebody sees him. When you come to church on Sunday, you open the boot and you say to Jesus, get out, come with me into church. You hang out with Jesus for an hour in church on Sunday. At the end of the church, at the end of the fellowship time, you go back to the car, you open the boot and you tell Jesus, get in there. And you keep him locked away. And nobody knows you're a secret disciple. Or you're a person playing religious games or whatever. Some people have Jesus in the back seat. He's in their life, but he's not in charge and he's not directing. He's not being listened to, but they profess faith, but he's not Lord. Just like that quote from Scott McKnight, many people have been baptised, confessed and joined the church and do this and go to Bible studies and they think they're going to heaven, but they're not following Jesus. Where Jesus needs to be is in the front seat doesn't need to be the driver you're the driver it's your life but he's the passenger but as the passenger he's in control of the navigation system he's telling you where to go and what to do and it's his voice speaking to you in 300 meters at the roundabout take the second exit and continue on this road when you come to the intersection turn he's directing your life and then the people in your life who are in the back seat will see and observe that you're a person who follows the directions of Jesus in your life and in your life choices where is jesus for you and your life is he in the boot is he in the back seat invite him to the front seat and listen to his voice put him in charge and he might very well say to you at the end of this service i want you to go and speak to this person and he'll name them or he'll say something like if you see somebody standing alone when we go to morning tea in just a minute <clears throat> go and stand next to them and chat with them listen to his directions his instructions Jesus wants to know will you love him supremely actively and openly will you follow him regardless of the past or what others do our goal this year as a church is for all of us to spend time with him daily to be transformed ourselves to remain in him and to bear fruit. Our lives are to be fact, faith, fruit. Let's pray. Lord, the message is clear and your expectations have likewise are clear. Help us to make a response which is the right one.
which is pleasing to you. Lord Jesus, come sit in the front seat of our lives. Direct us according to your will. Help us to follow you regardless. And Lord, help us to spend time with you and to love you supremely, above and beyond and before all else, you first. We ask and pray in your name. Amen.